Hello, and welcome to Book Chatter, a monthly book club podcast presented by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Josie, your host for this episode, and today I welcome Jana. Hi. Denise. Hi. And Edward. Hello. We are trying something a little different with this episode. So instead of reading one book and discussing it, we are reading two books, True Grit by Charles Portis and The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich. Both titles are set in the West and deal with complicated issues of justice and focus on teen protagonists. And spoiler alert, today we'll be discussing the books in their entirety, so if you haven't finished reading them yet, you may want to come back to this episode after you've done so. So I'll take a minute uh, to talk about the authors and their books. Louise Erdrich is an award-winning author of 28 books that span the gamut from fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and books for children. She's an enrolled member of the Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians. She owns Birchbark Books, a bookstore in Minneapolis that focuses on Native American literature. The Roundhouse, part of the Justice Trilogy, which includes Plague of Doves and La Rose, won the National Book Award in 2012. The book is set in the late 1980s on the Ojibwe Reservation in North Dakota. The book's main character is 13 years old. His name is Joe Coots, and he is seeking revenge against the man who raped his mother. Charles Portis was an American novelist whose most popular novel, True Grit, was made into numerous film adaptations. Uh, the most famous one stars John Wayne as Rooster Cogburn. Portis's novels were known for their dialogue, dry comedy, and adventure. True Grit was written in 1968, but it's set in 1878, and it follows 14-year-old Maddie Ross as she travels from Arkansas into the Indian Territory. With the marshal, Rooster, she hired and a Texas Ranger to get justice for her murdered father. Um, there's a foreword in the book that I read by author Donna Tart, and she calls this novel a masterpiece and one of her most beloved books. So we're going to do our star rating, and Edward and Jana, they read The Roundhouse. Jana also read True Grit, so she gets extra credit. So Jana, what did you think of The Roundhouse? And you can also give your... Uh, you're rating for True Grit, too, since you took the time to read it. <laughs> Thanks, Josie. Um, I started out with True Grit, and I hadn't thought to pick it up before. I don't read many Westerns. I guess it would be my first Western. Mm -hmm. um, and same with The Roundhouse, although that's more of a literary Western than a, yeah. I would say, a traditional Western, but okay. they both qualify. True Grit has a lot of wit in it. It's, it's funny. Um, it's a great portrayal of the Western landscape during that time period. It has spot-on dialogue, really captures the perkiness of the young protagonist, uh, Maddie. And I just, I got quite involved in it. Like, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't think that I would. And um, so I, I give it, like, the highest marks. I agree that... I guess I agree. It's a masterpiece. I think it's a really great piece of All right. of writing. And with the Roundhouse, I also was caught up in the plot. The characters are very well drawn. Um, the sense of place is evoked. The sense of culture and history with with the tribe, um, the connection to the land, to their um, legends, to their 
religion, uh, the meaning that they derive from the sense of place is very strong. It's a strong message. I like that uh, Louise um, Erdrich is writing about indigenous women and addressing themes of violence against indigenous women and the fact that laws are not protecting indigenous women enough and they are victimized. Mm -hmm. I think it's an important book. It's an important message. Um, and it just has many, many themes, so many things to <laughs> contemplate that we'll talk about today. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I also give that five stars too. Great. Uh, what did you think of The Roundhouse, Edward? So I very much enjoyed The Roundhouse. Um, again, like Jenna mentioned, was the culture aspect of it. I was very immersed in indigenous culture through this. And it was fascinating. And, you know, just showing the ties to the land and the animals and life that you would see someone from an indigenous background, um, you know, their day to day. But I would only give it a three and a half stars, um, mainly because I felt like it took a while to get things started. Mm -hmm. um, even though you were getting a lot of things happening early on, there was a lot of stuff happening in about a four chapters, but even though there was a lot, I felt it was very slow. Um, but then, you know, the book picks up and you get super immersed in the storyline and the plot um, and the characters. So I really enjoyed that part. And then I was very disappointed at the end. Um, I just felt the way she ended the book was not great. It just felt a matter of convenience to, uh, it's like, well, we're just going to end it this way. Because but I think no we have way. to recognize, right, that it's the beginning of a trilogy, right? Um, I think it's the first one, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I feel like that's where your sense mm -hmm. of like not having closure might come from, is that she's telling just the first part of a story. Yeah, but I, I just felt uh, <laughs> like uh, with, uh, um, you know, with what happened to Cappy, I thought that was just very abrupt and, well, this is it type of thing. And then we walked away from it. And that's where I felt. It okay. was just, um, I, I just felt, I, I did, I just felt like it took too long to, too, too long to long start. and ended quickly. And then very quickly. All and, right. So Denise, you and I read True Grit. Um, what did you think? Well, I wasn't sure how I'd like reading a Western. Um, I'm intrigued by them and curious about them. Um, but I'm generally a nostalgic person and I like period pieces. So I did enjoy the book. It was pretty short, but very captivating read. I liked I liked the main character, Maddie. She's scrappy and I like that. Um, especially, you know, being only 14 years old. So it was the kind of book I like to read, and I, I like to read them aloud when the, I feel like there's some kind of accent or some kind oh, of Oh, yeah. So, so you know, I'm like in my room, my living room, and one of my family members would walk in while I've, you know, got my southern drawl and uh, my nose in a book, and uh -huh. they're like, who are you reading to? Me. Either that or it would just be in my inner monologue. Yeah. And... I did have to look up a few of the older, less used words, which uh -huh. I I kind of enjoy. I'm like, wait, what? Because it it I think more deeply connects when you are like, oh, yeah. That's... I looked up a couple. Words. I can't remember what the words were, but yeah, I looked up some things. I was like, yeah, yeah. And then there were the, the 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 John's milk or what was it John Blue Milk Blue Milk? Yeah, I was and like, then... I don't know what Blue Milk is, and it's skim milk. Yeah, and a couple other mm. things. Um, but then there were a couple words that I remember, like my grandma using. Uh huh. I mean, she was born in 1908, so. I was like, oh, I remember yeah. that. Um, but I I really was struck by considering the time frame uh, where we were in our culture, in our country, that the main character, Maddie, being she's only 14, 
and how she really, I think, defies some of the conventions of being kind of seen and not heard or mm-hmm. not supposing to be as bold or as insistent as she is and not speaking and acting like she's supposed to, if you will. So it was unexpected, and I gave it four and a half stars. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give it five stars. So yeah, you know, I liked Maddie. Um, I like Rooster. Uh, I liked LeBeef. Mm-hmm. They were all quite good. Um, I think the dialogue was was masterful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you could really hear it in your head. Yeah, the rip for the rat. Right. right. That part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I liked, there was definitely some dry humor. I felt like the writing was very clear and forthright. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of like, Kind of like Maddie. You mm-hmm. know, she's a woman of few words, and she makes those words count. What you see is what you get. Yes. You know, you. I don't know who said this. Was it Ezra Pound or somebody? Or maybe not. You know, show don't tell, right? Um, I felt like this, was, this book did a lot of showing and not necessarily telling. Um, there are little pearls of wisdom hidden in there. And it just felt like a refreshing and simple forthright book. And sometimes those are very nice to read. They don't take a lot of effort. It's just pure enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I'll give it a five stars. And uh, I'm glad I I'm glad I read it. Um, alrighty. So I think we liked those books, mostly. <laughs> um, so when we discussed doing this episode, um, we like to try and do different genres and different um, types of books in our podcast. And we said, well, we haven't done Westerns. You know, we did a romance. Uh, we've done fantasy, quite a few nonfiction, but we haven't done westerns. So we thought maybe it'd be kind of interesting if we did two different ones and sort of compare and contrast them and talk about how they may be different and how large the western genre can be. So that is why um, we chose westerns. What do you think makes a western a western? Do you think it has to be a time period, just a setting? Anybody have any thoughts? I think it's both a time and a place. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's, I can't really think about it without adding the word wild, the word wild in right. the Wild West, the before it was tamed or subdued, or right. at least before uh, Manifest Destiny. Right. And True Grit's definitely wild. I think that'd be the Wild West kind of genre, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Especially because so that second half or so. Mm-hmm does take place in Native American territory. It's more Southern than, you know, Texas, Arkansas area than what we think of as West. Like Wyoming or Arizona or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think it kind of brought it into an area I didn't really think of so much. I would have thought of that as Southern. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I liked that too because it made me think a little differently. Mm -hmm. Why do you think the Roundhouse was considered? How could we justify it as being a Western? Um, so I was just thinking about this, um, kind of mulling it over and I kept thinking about land, uh-huh. that there's a connection to the land that makes something specifically Western. It is, Westerns are set in the Western United States. I don't know if the genre can carry over to like occurring somewhere else outside of that, that place, but mm-hmm. maybe so, but like there's just such a deep connection to the land and that's part of the writing and what Denise was saying with Um, the wilderness. I think there's something about the roundhouse itself as being the the spiritual center for the Native Americans there. It's part of the land. They were kind of 
like forced to go there when their hunting grounds were encroached upon and they, they built the roundhouse to protect their people and their traditions. A lot of this book deals with the problems, the patchwork of Western laws kind of infringing on their way of life and their traditional um, justice systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, justice and revenge are a big thing, as is morality in traditional Westerns. Um, and so I think she, what Erdrich did was to kind of flip the um, traditional Western on its head and look at it through a different lens, right? And so you're not looking at it through the white colonial lens. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Maddie, um, who is a very devout Christian. She's constantly quoting Bible verses. Um, and she seems like such a kind of prim and proper young woman, while at the same time she's like going out on this horse and, you know, she's interacting with all these businessmen that are trying to rip her off. And she's definitely acting far beyond her years and beyond her gender for the time. Absolutely. Um, Like Denise said, you know, it's really interesting that it's kind of a feminist piece of work. And it's, I don't know why he chose a a young girl for his protagonist. I wondered that too. Yeah. mm -hmm. If it had something to do with when he wrote it. Yeah, because it's unusual. Yeah. yeah, or if it reminded him of you know one of his a family member, maybe his mom. <laughs> yeah, or I don't sister know, sister or something. So you you bring up uh, justice and revenge. What do you think? Is there a difference between them? And it, you know, is it possible for the victims of of crime, uh, murder, and rape in these instances to find peace or move on without either or or both? You know, Maddie, she. She wants, it's hard to tell what she wants. She wants justice for her father, you know, and, and Labeef is looking for Tom Chaney too. She's like, no, I want him to hang for my dad's death, not for some dog, right? Or senator. Or senator. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they're like, well, it's the same thing. He's dying. No, it needs to happen for, for my. Yeah. And, you know, she she's very strict on that. Um, so So I don't know if that's... She, she definitely wants something other than justice, I guess. I think with the difference between justice and revenge is um, kind of like the uh, significance behind it. Why, why are you trying to achieve this? I feel like revenge would be something more personal reasons. Why are you mm-hmm. trying to bring up upon this, this action on this person versus um, justice would be more like the greater good type of thing you're coming in from a third party this person needs to pay for his crimes because if we don't stop him now you know he could have an effect on other people or hurt other people right so there's a greater good to it you know you're thinking of society as a whole whereas revenge is like i need to have this person pay because i feel like him paying will make me feel better so you're not doing it for the greater good you're doing it for yourself, but it's a it's a very fine line. I, I would say I think at least that's the way I see it. Yeah. What do you think about um, like we're gonna get into your personal th- <laughs> feelings or things? You know, like the death penalty. Um, if the person's in jail for you know for the rest of their lives, they are not anymore a threat to society. Mm-hmm. So justice has been served, but. Oftentimes, the relatives of the person who was killed want to see this person die. Do you think that's sort of a revenge thing? I, I would say so. Um, uh-huh. I'm very against capital 
punishment yeah. myself. Um, I don't, you know, violence will only seed more violence. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I think that's more of a personal thing. I, I, I need this to be done just yeah. to make, to give myself some closure. Uh-huh. I think she talks about how, Erdrick talks about how uh, Joe, whose mother was raped, um, violently attacked um, by a white man um, at their sacred site, the roundhouse, how her spirit left her body. Like her eyes are just kind of dead. Like she's in this state where she can't function. She's just like stuck in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, She's hardly eating. She's like turning away all the food. And it just feels like his mom is gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was really his quest and why he's a hero in this book and why um, we know Westerns have heroes that go on these missions. Mm-hmm. Both of them, both young people went on these missions to avenge wrongs done to their parents. And I think in the case of Joe, it meant getting his mom back in a way. How do I get her spirit to come back? And he felt like if he could find the rapist, mm-hmm. um, that that was a way to bring his mom back. Because what does he, he want to do? Because justice had failed. And there's there's uh, a sense of like yeah. justice, especially for the Native Americans because of the patchwork of laws and the like just limits to prosecution. It, it, it didn't work. So I think, you know, she also writes about the idea of the Wendigo. And I thought that was super interesting. The Wendigo, um, this is what she said in an interview with Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission, because I was a little bit confused about this Wendigo idea, mm-hmm. but she she said the Wendigo really arises out of a human being's way of being and thinking, and it has to be contained and controlled by the people closest to that person. Western justice can't meet the demands of a reality of this kind. The traditional way of justice is the only way out. So I think there are times when, you know, like with Maddie seeking justice for the particular familial crime and with Joe and his mom that it's like this this idea of the law the what the church might say these kind of ethics and philosophy that that is separate from the personal and familial relationships that we have mm-hmm. yeah i think with Joe too uh, was he was kind of put in that corner because of the flawed laws and the reservation and revolving in Native American stuff like that because they, you know, they had already, they knew who the rapist was. They caught him. The mom was like, he's like, I'm, I'm safe now. He's in jail. You know, I'm good. And then he gets off. Oh. And then she, her soul gets taken away as soon as he, you know, he like gets let free. And I feel like he was, Joe was backed up into that corner where like, well, there's not, there's not going to be any justice. It started me thinking when we were talking about the difference between justice and revenge. And I kept thinking that, to me, revenge goes back to closure in a way that justice doesn't. Mm-hmm. Because, like, for True Grit, at least, um, you had these kind of three main characters, and but only one of them had a direct connection to this killing. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Cheney had killed other people. He'd killed a senator in Texas, which is why we had this Texas Ranger, LaBeouf, there. But he was not directly connected to that killing or, the, you know, the senator's dog. And the marshal's there, rooster's there, simply because he's hired. He also, I think, is kind of one of those, I want to clean up the town. I want to, you know, kind of purge the earth of evil. 
but there's not that directness. And so I think she, if she's seeking revenge, it's, it's as a closure, it's as a, cause she's never seems really venomous, you know, like, Oh, I want to, you know, I don't know, chop him into pieces or anything. She's like, I just want him dead or I want him brought back to my town. I don't care about your Senator, whatever fanciness I want him for this. Um, and I think maybe closure for her family too. So it was, it was definitely, if it was revenge, it didn't seem toxic, Hmm. just more focused. So maybe that was her version of the the way that she had grit versus Mm -hmm. the other characters. Interesting. Why do you think it's important for Maddie and Joe to avenge their parents? Sounds like for Joe, he wants to bring his mother back alive, so to speak. Yeah. Bring her spirit back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think these two young people are, they're growing up, right? They're, these are coming of age novels. Mm-hmm. There is, they're also a specific genre of novel. And when young people are confronted with injustice in their world and their society, they're trying to make sense of it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard because it's it's like you want to have this idealistic view of the world and it's not working for you, mm-hmm. right? And how, how do you grapple with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was a big driver of when you see the lack of justice and then you make this pact with yourself to, to move forward and, you know, become an activist. I, I feel like Maddie was also trying to understand the... the nonsensical nature of it like it was it wasn't that her dad did anything mm-hmm. you know in both cases mm-hmm. both parents they hadn't done anything it was unprovoked maddie's dad trusted tom cheney he'd worked for them for years he'd lived you know on their property he'd been loyal and his father had paid him well and you know never cheated him or never treated him with disrespect so there was no underlying cause or any reason that her dad would have had to be wary of him, and all of a sudden he just happens to, you know, I guess and he get didn't drunk. Look, yeah, and he didn't seem didn't seem like he pushed him that hard. Yeah, but because he apparently was an angry drunk, just pulled out a gun, and shot him, and I think she's trying to figure out like, what does that all mean and why, and I think maybe that's part of what drives her so hard is she wants to see him face to face and understand something that just I think wouldn't make sense to most any of us. But especially if it was so know, making sense yeah. of the unsensible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and there she maybe understands. There's probably no way to really understand it, even no matter what he says. What do you think happens to the descendants of these these victims of trauma who never see justice? Um, yeah, Ma- Maddie never. She never gets married. Which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, because she's, you know, she just didn't see any use for it. and She didn't have time. Didn't have time. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> but, you know, you do kind of wonder. I mean, she went through some pretty mm-hmm. frightening stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> in that in that hole, right? With yeah. the snakes and the bats yeah. and the skeleton. Yeah, skeleton and the dead, dead thing. Body. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder if, she, why do you think she, she didn't? I mean, I wonder if it's because she didn't fit the womanly role of the time period that she had somehow crossed some kind of barrier could be that made her ineligible in a way or if she just well they never talk about it but I kept wondering in what way her amputated arm may have fit in Mm. because you know women were more for their beauty and the work they could do so that's certainly going to Mm. maybe make her less attractive and also maybe make her sort of less um, efficient in the work that women were expected to do that's interesting on the other hand she seemed to 
in an understated way, take over the yeah. role of her dad. So she's the caretaker. She's, you know, part of the provider. She talks about taking care of her invalid mom. And she has these two younger siblings. So some of it's not stated. They don't, she doesn't come out and talk about it. And there isn't really any narration to indicate it. But yeah. Or maybe she didn't need a man. I mean, she was so <laughs> crafty. If you could at, take on a at, Texas Ranger you know, and make him come and do Again and again, all of these yeah. people were trying to swindle her yeah. and say, no, you can't do this. Yeah. She doesn't attend her dad's funeral to go on this, you know. Yeah, this quest. Yeah. And so I wonder if, yeah, she, because she like, <laughs> she went beyond all the barriers and she's like, well, maybe I don't need to get married. Yeah, if you I know, can do I, that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, she seemed to only need to take the marshal and the ranger for maybe their um, size and their expertise, their experience in doing this. Uh-huh. But like she was going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, how does that fit in with Joe and his family? I mean, I guess it would have to like read the second book in the trilogy. We, I mean, mm. you're not really sure how it. Yeah, if there's a second, I, I just don't know what. I mean, less directly the, the effect afterwards. Uh-huh. We, we don't get much of it because, it got, mm. like I said, the book gets cut off pretty pretty quickly. But we. Um, oh, sorry to interrupt you. No, go ahead. I just was gonna say that, like, that we do know about the past trauma that those oh, indigenous, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. you bring a good point. Uh, peoples faced. He he talks about you know that it being afraid of entering the cemetery by night uh, was to fear not the loving ancestors who lay buried, but the gut kick of our history. Mm-hmm. And what he's talking about is the time period when his ancestors lived and died too quickly in those years surrounding the making of the reservation, died before they could be recorded and in such painful numbers that it was hard to remember them all without uttering, as my father did sometimes as he read local history. And the white man appeared and drove them down into the earth, it sounded like an Old Testament prophecy, but was just an observation of the truth. And so, I mean, that is like your family tree. That those are your ancestors. That's where you're coming from. And how do you how do you live with that going forward? Did it talk at all about like them carrying like bef- before this incident, like them carrying those other burdens or traumas or just anything to indicate a sense of oppression or a sense of still feeling having scars or something from years and years and decades of that well there was that um, when joe mentions that the people buried there you know they locally they're known by their uh, indigenous names mm-hmm. and then they don't go by that so i think that's a sense of oppression we're like mm-hmm. you know these people get married un- or get buried under Christian names and that it's itself is a form of oppression and only remembered by their native names Absolutely. by the local people that still remember them or who they are. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I remember when we read Yellow Bird for mm-hmm. this podcast. That's what like I Like so many about. crimes go unsolved on the reservation. Yeah. Um, and also the idea of, of the trauma that is passed down mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. family, you know, lines. Mm-hmm. Well, like the thing that happened to Joe's mom, I think it was made worse knowing that there wasn't much to do if whatever happened to her was either on native land, state land, or federal land. Mm-hmm. So I think that was even extra damage to the situation because they were like, well, we might not find any actual justice mm-hmm. from this. Just um, based on location. Just based on that, and that made things worse. You and know, it was so hard for his father, right, who was a lawyer and 
you know, Joe go, grows up to be a lawyer. Oh. And from a very young age, he was interested in reading um, his dad's law books. So it just, it's like, it's even worse that when the dad is just so torn up. I mean, mm -hmm. to imagine that that's your profession and it's just like, oh my goodness, like I just, I cannot help. Mm -hmm. You're in the best position. And the law is supposed so to be helping my yeah. wife. Yeah, and it's yeah. such an egregious crime, right? To feel so helpless yeah. with, with which, that. Which I think makes you wonder if him, Joe growing up to be a lawyer may have had some elements of revenge and closure. Yeah. You know, could, mm -hmm. is, would everything he did as a lawyer still have little elements of that trauma in what he did in seeking justice? But was it pure motive? And I don't know, would well, we have really judged him for that? <laughs> no. Well, they actually address that in, in the book, um, talk about uh, there's a lot of laws or a lot of the cases that that works on, they seem very petty. Mm -hmm. Or not very petty, but very small. They're like, oh, shoplifting, oh, um, stuff like that. Or somebody was drunk in town and they seem of little significance. And Joe asks his dad, why do you do this? And dad makes a point. Some can't remember what the actual person was, but it's basically he's saying like, we continue to do this to show that we will try to uh, apply justice and law anywhere where we can and make ourselves known. So... I think the reason Joe would become a lawyer would not be so much revenge, but more like that insistence to like, hey, look, we're our own people. We're our own nation. We should get to make our own laws and we should be able to try white people on tribal lands, mm -hmm. which is not something they could do. Yeah. And he also point. points out like we need to change the wording of the laws. Like mm -hmm. it's inherently racist. He talked about mm -hmm. just Supreme Court Justice Daniel Webster and how he the way that he wrote some of these laws talked about um, people that were unworthy of the land, that if we left the lands to the people that lived there originally, it would just fall into wilderness, and that somehow the Europeans had a superior stamp mm -hmm. and that they wow. deserved to have dominion over the land. So I think He's, you know, he's offended by that, and I think mm -hmm. partly going to become a lawyer would be to, how do we address these? How do we, how do we make the law work mm -hmm. for us? Yeah. And I think that more in self be justice than revenge, just because it's for the greater good of the native nation. Sure, you know, not, not just dollars. what I want. I'm offended by it, but mm -hmm. these laws actually affect my people. Yeah. So I want right. to help them out. It was pretty different. I don't know what your th if you had different thoughts, Josie, but it seemed to me that. It was a very different experience in True Grit from that because they were going in, first of all, um, they were going into the Choctaw Nation territory to basically extract the bad guys. And it seemed like that undertone of we're going in to kind of clean things up was seemed more welcomed. Like, yes, please come get your, you know, garbage, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> remove it. Because they said a lot of people, and it wasn't just white people, but just outlaws tended to go hide out there. And that could have been from any nationality. Mm -hmm. And some were even, you know, other native tribes or whomever. And so it was, I mean, it, they um, Rooster particularly had already built a lot of relationships with, um, you know, store owners and post office people and in, in there, in those towns that they went to. Um, and could ask for, I guess, favors or cooperation mm -hmm. information. Um, and they trusted him to, at least to that point, because he'd proven he would go in, he would get 
whoever was, you know, <laughs> causing problems for them and take them out mm-hmm. and bring them to the justice for what they'd done and, yeah, help make it better. So it was more of a cooperation. Um, but in our book, there wasn't direct um, victimizing of Native people other than maybe some of the outlaws who may have been of Native heritage. Yeah. But, but it wasn't the focus. Yeah, she, <clears throat> you know, she has some, he was a good Indian, you know, she has that kind of yeah way she'll talk. And not just that, I mean, there's also the segregation in the train. She talks about the darkies. Yeah. The yeah. conductor uses the N-word. The N-word is, is in this book. Yeah, it um, is. Like other books of that period. But I feel like um, it was more matter of fact than derogatory because yeah. it was so ingrained in their culture at the time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, you could say it's not, <laughs> it's it's its own toxicity for that to be so nonchalant and just everyday vernacular. What, so yeah, True Grit, um, title of the book, and she, Maddie, is looking for somebody with True Grit to help her out. What does that mean? And what characters show True Grit in both the novels? Um, I would think that it's not necessarily Rooster who has True Grit. I think it's her. Because she never stops. She never lets an obstacle come in her way. What, what, is what does it true, mean? What does it mean, yeah? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> it never spells it out. It's, it's something that you need to, I guess, figure out. Yeah, and I, I, didn't, I meant to look it up, um, but I, I put that it was doggedly demonstrating tenacity and resolve through adversity. Yeah, and that's Maddie just through and through. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the ranger, mm-hmm. just because that's how he was trained, and that's, you know what I mean, that was his job and he was shown how to do that. So mm-hmm. he did because kind of like, like military, yeah. you know, they are, that is their training that becomes part of them. But she was never trained in this. This was strictly, I'm going to do this come hell or high water. If I live or I die, doesn't matter. The objective, it's what matters. Yeah. I don't even know how I'm going to do it. Right. I'm not even capable of shooting my dad's revolver. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it was a different, if they both had grit, Hers was definitely a different kind. Hers was true. It was. It came from deep inside, not just from something she knew or had learned to do. Yeah. What do you think, Jenna? I mean, true grit, grit is like a thing now in self-help books. It is. Um, There was a pretty popular one that was written. Um, And about children, too. It helps children to have Mm -hmm. grit if they've had um, obstacles that they've had to overcome. And I I think that's true. And so, yeah, and these are both children, really, that are. Do you think Joe has grit? I think he, I think he, he's not as straightforward as, as Maddie. She seems like very clear cut about where she's coming from. He's morally more ambiguous. Mm-hmm. They find some, so he rides his bike to the roundhouse to investigate the scene of the crime, which does show some bravery and initiative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he and his friends find like two six packs and instead of saving them for evidence, they drink them. <laughs> I mean, they're like 14-year-old or 13-year-old boys. Old, yeah. yeah. And um, they find some other evidence as well. But, you know, what I did like about this novel is that she, Erdrich, chose to write it from the perspective of a 13-year-old boy who is grappling with his sexuality, with his place in the tribe, you know, mm-hmm. there's his Musham is his grandfather and he hears these stories, legends that Musham speaks in his sleep sometimes. And he has a relationship with this ex-stripper um, who's kind of like a mother figure to him, but 
he's always talking about her breasts and how great they look <laughs> under her her uh, suit. You know, she wears like the the kind of exercise uh -huh. uh, suits, and okay. she works at the gas station Spandex, with, yeah. <laughs> with Whitey. And so you see how she's unlike he's he's a little different than. Maddie, who's like quoting Bible verses, and when mm. the guys are getting drunk, she's like, "Why are people so silly?" I mean, she's almost so black and white. Oh, she's completely black you and know. white. Yeah, yeah, and it, it makes her a little less appealing, and a little, maybe a little bit less believable. I oh, mean, absolutely. just kind yeah. of a stick in the mud. I mean, she's appealing in the fact that she's so driven, and and she's yeah, and you're happy to see a, a young girl sort of stand up to all these men, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But but she's she's not a a character that you can identify with in any way. I don't feel like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like there's and no then warmth there. The whole no. thing with Joe yeah. and like the money. So they find some money in this doll um, at the scene of the crime floating in the lake. Uh, and he tells the ex stripper who works at a gas station now, um, Sonia is her name. She is not native. She's uh, Swedish descent, I think. And she, instead of taking it to the police, she kind of tells him to hide it, um, and then they go and put it in many different banks, and she and she and he bury the passbooks. Is that what they're called? The passbooks, yeah. Um, and she says, oh, this money is for your IV education. But then later she shows up with diamond stud earrings and this kind of thing, and um, she's buying these expensive, like, lizard skin boots, right? And meanwhile, Joe, as the son of the, the lawyer and the, the, the rape victim, is hiding some really important evidence. And so there's more ambiguity, I think. Yeah, I would right. agree. But I think of grit. I don't know why I think of potatoes. <laughs> Grits. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah they're like grit. Oh my God. It's like soupy potatoes. <laughs> yeah, I think but it takes think... grit to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say true grit. I'm like, oh. But maybe, maybe grit. Like I feel sand, like, like maybe... sandpaper? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, that I mean, makes, that's that where makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's where it comes okay. from. But mm -hmm. it feels like Maddie is just kind of like born with this grit somehow. You're supposed to believe that about her, but I feel like Joe kind of earns it. Because mm -hmm. yeah. he's really suffering through it. He's trying to figure it out, and he's making some mistakes. And that, what I liked about it, too, was uh, you go back to like his grandpa telling him stories. That was like hands down my favorite part of the, the book was when he's telling the story of the person that built the roundhouse. I forget his name. Um, uh, so it was Nana Push was like kind Nana of Push, the yeah. legend, and then there was um, his grandpa Mushin was old enough to yeah. build it with Nana Push. With Nana Push, yeah. But I feel like a lot. Of, I did feel like a lot of his grit came from you know hearing these stories of how this you know Nana Push he um, his mom was accused of being a Wendigo, and then they tried to drown her, and then he, it was his job to help kill her. So he stays behind and tells her dad, "I'll shoot her if she comes out of the water." They leave. He ends up saving her and then survives this, like, blizzard by killing a bison and then going inside. And I feel like he got a lot of that. Like, you know, thinking back yeah. to Nana Push, he, he, that's where he got his grit was from his ancestry. Mm -hmm. And it's like if he, Nana Push could push through this, I, I can, you know, succeed as well. And that, you don't get, really get that kind of backstory or background um, in True Grit. No. Um, you don't get a lot of her mother her siblings, no. any grandparents, any like roots. I mean, she's, she loves where she lives and she, you know, is very proud of that, but you, yeah, it is much more disconnected, which makes, I think it hard to be endeared or be as vested in her quest. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, even though it's, it's very murder. much a film, 
in book form, you know? Mm. I mean, there's there's tons and tons and tons of dialogue. The majority of that book is dialogue. Yes. It's not a bunch of internal what's going on yes. with this character. It's not a bunch of history. Not a lot of reflection. No. no. It's it's very much I could see how easily it could be made into a film mm-hmm. because it's 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 I don't want to say it's like one dimensional, but it kind of is. Right. There's not there's not a ton of depth. Yeah, to this book, I guess. Yeah, lots of action. <laughs> lots of action, action and and very fun imagery, but not. I don't. I don't know. Do you agree, Jana? Do you think it's? I I think about her character, and there is a little bit of a glimmer of her grappling with uh, what's going on. I mean, she goes to a public hanging, and she's with Yarnell, and um, he's trying to cover her eyes. Yeah, and she like takes his hand away, like, no, I want to watch this, and the hanging is a form of justice, right? But it's a little bit it's a little bit iffy like what kind of justice is happening up there like one guy confesses oh i killed the wrong man i'm so sorry sunrise regards and it's it's like this form it's of very black and white. for people yeah. and there's a native american that's that's hung as well and she has this comment like if you're like me you'll probably think of indians as heathens but i will ask you to recall the thief on the cross he was never baptized and never even heard of a catechism and yet christ himself promised him a place in heaven um, so she's thinking about that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. while he's hanging. Biblically, she she quotes mm-hmm. the Bible a lot. Yeah. Um, religion is in both books. So the indigenous beliefs and Catholicism in the roundhouse and then Presbyterianism for mm-hmm. Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think it manifests in both novels? And, and I guess with Maddie, it's, you know, she it's a lot of her judgments and her opinions and her the way she interprets biblical things. Um, so it's kind of there. It kind of makes her part of her inflexible, but part of her bedrock, I guess, yeah. um, and her sense of values and justice. But what is, how is the interplay in, in the roundhouse? I imagine it's maybe deeper. Yeah. I mean, there's such a uneasy coexistence or it becomes kind of easier, but uh, with the, the indigenous beliefs and, um, the legends, like we were talking about, about Nanapush, and with Catholicism that comes and proselytizes the community, and and Erdrich writes about them kind of living like some of the tribal members embrace both and kind of try to interweave the mm. beliefs in their lives. Also, she writes um, about Joe's mom, like we all knew uh, that my mother had stopped going to church after she returned from boarding school. She never mm-hmm. said why. And, you know, there's been a lot in the press. Recently, the Pope went around and apologized to many indigenous peoples, I believe in the United States and Canada, yeah. for how they were treated at these Catholic boarding schools. How do you rectify the <laughs> the terrible wrongs done um, in the name of religion, right? Yeah, I think I, think I do agree with that. Uh... Jenna, it's like that is there and there's just some uneasiness, like some, you know, some people try to like abide by both their, uh-huh. their ancestral, you know, religion and uh-huh. their introduced Catholicism. It seems like all the uh, other people just like take out part of it, but they're like, yeah, yeah you know, Catholicism, whatever. Um, and they continue to do their sacred rituals and they only do it to appease whatever force is there. And then there are some other, other people in the book that are just very true to their ancestral religion and uh-huh. that's really all they think about um like joe's dad when you know joe's taking going to sunday school and that's like, like why are you going to sunday school but question more like yeah there you're trying to get something out of the priest <laughs> um that's why you're going to sunday uh, sunday school 
Well, thank you, Jana, Denise, and Edward for a great discussion of Portis's True Grit and Erdrich's The Roundhouse. Our next book chatter pick is The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Hallie Rubenhold. The Five is available in print from our library and in ebook and e-audiobook formats from the Front Range Downloadable Library. So read or listen and join us in the conversation. See our programming notes for this episode for information how you can send us your comments and questions. We would love to hear from you. And thanks for listening. See you next time on Book Chatter, the book club for busy people.